What's happening, everybody? Welcome to the Postdoc PT Experience, episode number 21. I'm your host, Dr. Nick Gula, and this week we are luckily enough to be joined by the scholarly and poignant Dr. Cody Mansfield. Dr. Cody Mansfield currently works at Ohio State Sports Medicine, where he did his orthopedic residency then completed his orthopedic manual physical therapy fellowship and is now currently a PhD student. Cody went to physical therapy school at Duke University and some of his professional accomplishments are, to not name all of them, he's been published in JOSPT multiple times with actually his latest research being published this past December in the issue. He has an article, an imaging article entitled Paresthesia post hodal Knee Arthroplasty Secondary to Severe Thoracic Spinal Cord Compression. So go and check that out. Cody is highly interested in ortho and sport combinations where he likes to treat spine and soccer players a lot. He is from California, but he also traveled all over the world to Nepal, South Korea, Japan, looks like Amsterdam, London, Paris, Belgium, just to name a few. He also wants you to know that he is a now proud owner of a chainsaw. But if you listen to the episode, you guys are going to get some really cool information. This episode, me and Cody talk about the big and the small state of PT, where we might see things going. These are just our opinions. And we talk about some mentoring pearls, what it's like to, to mentor as a student versus a resident versus a fellow. And we also go into a little bit of a breakdown of the, the transition. What's the difference between residency and fellowship? And you'll actually see some of my actual live mentoring on here towards the end as we get more towards my fellowship that's going to be starting up in January. So today is December 20th, 2020. I am officially done residency, finished this past Friday, woo. And uh, Cody is now working full-time in the clinic. He has just finished his fall semester of classes where he's taking four classes worth of PhD work, as well as being a full-time clinician and everything in between. So we hope you guys enjoy this episode. So without further ado, Dr. Cody Mansfield. Dr. Cody Mansfield, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Dr. Gula? I'm doing fantastic. I am so glad we're finally making this happen. It's been a while coming. Yeah, I'm excited to be on. You know, I, you talked about starting this podcast, kind of the end of your residency, and um, it's kind of nice to see it grow and see you interview a lot of, uh, a lot of our colleagues. And uh, yeah, have a yeah, fun I, uh, new adventure. I hope to branch it out a little bit more. So if you guys are listening and you want to be on or you want to share your experience, reach out to us. Our, uh, our email is on our either Spotify or Facebook or Apple or Google Play page. So reach out to us. We'd love to have anybody and everybody on to talk about their experiences. That's what it's all about. But getting into it, teach us something. What do you got? Ah. <laughs> let's break the ice let's well, get into the conversation phase come on right you know i, I i'm glad you kind of prepped me for for this question beforehand because uh, I, I had to think about what would be a good way to uh teach you something that's kind of light and uh 
you know, something I think uh, you could you could take away. Um, it would be kind of hard if I just like out of nowhere threw that at you. Like, uh. Yeah. Right. But yeah, well, once you uh, asked that, I mean, um, it made me think about, I mean, it would, like over a decade ago when uh, I was trying to get recruited to play college soccer. Mm-hmm. And um, I still remember the weekend where I got my Division One look and, um, and I got offered to play Division One soccer. And that was, uh, it was a soccer tournament. And I remember, um, I w- remember my dad was talking to a scout and at that moment, I went into a really hard, hard tackle with the, uh, with the other opponent mm-hmm. and uh, hard. Hard, hard, but safe tackle <laughs> Good to hear. and, and uh, won the ball legally and uh, uh, won the ball, kicked it, uh, passed it to my teammates. And then I helped, uh, I helped the other player up afterwards. And, uh, and the coach was so impressed with that. And he was talking to my dad and, Essentially, I got recruited uh, to play D1 soccer because of moral fiber, and and to me it to me it translates well into where I am now, mentoring residents and fellows, where where it's all about the little stuff, it's all about doing the basics, it's all about doing the little things when you don't think people are watching, like cleaning the clinic, not leaving your stuff around, um, helping out. People notice that, and. Um, and anyways, I thought that was a good example. And then that led me to think of the second lesson this uh, soccer coach uh, taught me, which was to never yawn at a presentation. So after okay. that weekend, uh, after that weekend, the coach, um, he invited me up for one of their soccer camps. And um, it just it was like a kind of more formal reach out and kind of like a tryout. Mm-hmm. And um, it was me and a bunch of guys and he was giving us uh, a talk in one of the dining room halls. And uh, one of the players that weekend yawned while he was talking and the coach laid into him hard for mm-hmm. like a five to 10 minute lecture. And ever since then, I've never yawned in when, when I'm talking to someone or in a presentation, but have I really wanted noticed to? I have, and I've learned to hide it. And that, that's where wearing masks is incredibly helpful now, but, but now I'm super aware of it. And so if a resident or fellow yawns through my presentation, I do not like it. <laughs> you take it more but personally, I, probably. I, I take it really personally now because of that experience. Um, a little forewarning before you start our fellowship program. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's tough with uh, with residency meetings being at 7 a.m. on Monday mornings. You probably get a considerable amount of yawns, and that's not personal. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I can only say, though, that I went through it myself. <laughs> and then right. you you've been that so. in that unique experience of stepping through the shoes of the residency of the fellowship now in your phd and now you're seeing it from the other side i bet that's a really right. cool transition yeah and you know that's a good point because uh i've also ever since i've been a resident of fellows staff pt and now a phd student as well I've had different teaching opportunities and different um, different content that I have that I have to lecture on sometimes. And for the residents and fellows, I've been handed the stats lecture essentially. Mm-hmm. And um, or even really one year stuff. I had, yeah, really fun stuff. Or even one year I had, I had to, even one year I had to teach how to do a systematic review, which I'm passionate about, but not everyone else is. 
And uh, I believe it was someone in your cohort or from a different year that literally fell asleep. <laughs> and uh, It wasn't and, me, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. No, but ever since then, I'm like, all right, let's acknowledge that it's 7 a.m. It's dark outside. No one wants to learn how to do a systematic review right now. How can I change my lecture style? <laughs> hey, uh, I'm, I'm going to say you do that pretty well. The, I was very, very surprised when we were going to have our, our first lecture on all of the stats and all of just learning how to dig into the research and you brought in the Jeopardy game. Like, Yeah, that was fun. I mean, I, I think uh, people become more motivated to learn stats when there's a little competition involved. Exactly. I think, I think mm -hmm. that speaks, uh, speaks loads and it, it probably comes from your experience of going through it yourself, understanding where all that comes from, from the side of, I need to know this, it's important, but let's frame it in a way that it's delivered in a more digestible format. Yeah. And, you know, teaching residents and fellows, I, I think I took advantage of that experience to the point where when I went to teach physical therapy students or undergraduate students, mm -hmm. I really, it, it really made me appreciate all the knowledge you guys have coming into our residencies and fellowships and like certain things you, certain assumptions you make about, you know, certain critical thinking skills that people have. I mean, really PT students and our graduate, undergraduate students are at different levels. And so that totally rocked my teaching game because uh, yeah, I just had to like back things up so much. I think that's a really, really important point to talk about. Before we get into that, I, I want to take a step back. And we've been talking for, I don't know, about five minutes now. And I'm thinking like this five minutes that we've been talking, it's been light, it's been airy. It hasn't been a lot of like solid information, right? But at the same time, if you read between the lines, if you read into what we're talking about, I think especially the first thing you said about the moral fiber and then about being able to appreciate the, the change in content level. I think those two things together bring out probably the most important part of, of postdoc education. And yeah, you can get the knowledge and you can get the knowledge on your own, right? You can, you can study, you can buy your book, you can do whatever you need to do to pass the OCS. But I think we're, we're talking about something that's a little bit of a, of a change from the fact that we're not only looking to gain knowledge, but it's the delivery of the knowledge. It's, the, it's how you translate that. And at the end of the day, it all focuses back to who? The patient. And we can get lost, especially us in, in the middle of the residency rat race. Right. And I'm probably going to say in my experience going forward in the rat race of a fellowship and completing everything, it's, there's a lot going on. Right. I had this really cool conversation with our residency and fellowship director, John DeWitt. It was our closeout meeting. Right. I just finished residency. Wahoo. We're celebrating a little bit mm -hmm. this weekend. Mm -hmm. But he brought me back down to earth really quickly. It's like, Let's talk about the thing that really matters. It's, it's not the, the letters behind your name. It's not like 
how you feel about yourself after you complete this residency or after like you're getting into something else in your career. It's about the relationship you build with your patients and ultimately how you can affect their life. And I, it, you, you can easily see that you build those relationships. And even within all of your research, it's like, it gets, it gets back to, yeah, this is, it's cool and important to, to find the, the small little things, but those small little things actually impact people in a large way. Yeah, I, um, I totally agree. Um, and John DeWitt, uh, out of anyone, I mean, he, uh, his mentorship style and, and, uh, and just his reputation as a clinician, I mean, he builds relationships and he's so good at it. Uh, I forget the advice he typically gives, uh, the sports residents, but it's typically, uh, to get a few questions out for the patient. Um, you know, where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And he had one other icebreaker question for them. Uh, and then uh, Paul Tadak, our clinic manager, who you know, uh, he, he's very deliberate about saying the patient's name and mm-hmm. is all about the patient experience. Um, because it goes a long way when the provider you're seeing says your name and you literally leave that appointment thinking, man, he knows my name. <laughs> And uh, yeah, I think those, uh, I think you're right. It all comes down to the patient and uh, and you bring up a good point. It's easy to get wrapped up or jaded or pushed away from that a little bit with all the other demands that come with life, work, residency, fellowship, and all of that. It's a good point. I think, I think John and Paul both do it really well, like, you can look at it from one or two, one of two ways. And I used to think about it this way. I used to think like, oh, PT is a business. And in a business, we need to do like the five simple things. We need to entice people's five different senses, right? Sight, touch, smell, feel, hearing, like all of that. You do that, you're going to get the buy-in. You're going to make people feel special, quote unquote, and they're going to want to come back. That's, I think that's important to realize but they do it genuinely. It's not that they're just like trying to check the boxes. And mm-hmm. I think that's the next step for me is I don't want to say I was trying to check the boxes earlier in, in my career. And, and I do genuinely care about my patients, but like really taking it back to the core of what makes you, you, how can we do this together? What part can I serve in your life? Right. And I think, your treatment style is good where you're an excellent uh you're an excellent listener interviewer probably probably why you started this podcast uh, appreciate it but but then like you you have a lot of those skills that we really like um to see in a physical therapist and to interact with a lot of different people and i think as you develop further i i kind of wonder can you change your style to meet different patients needs and, uh, you know, can you, um, you know, if a patient isn't responding um, to your normal style, can, can you shift it into third gear and kind of change the flow of that interaction to right. optimize it, you know? And, and not take it personally. 
Exactly. And that's where it's a challenge because you're going against your maybe beliefs or philosophy or, <laughs> or, right. or you're, you're trying to you just need to do something different, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a big point. And again, I'm going to take it back to on, on the surface level, this might not seem like really deep conversation, but I think it's probably the most deep conversation you can have about PT and one of the more important factors that goes into it. So you're listening right now. Think about this with your next patient or your next interaction with your fellow student or your professor. Think about not only what you're saying and, and what you need to do or what you need out of the conversation, but think about how they're perceiving it and think about what they're going to say about you or about that conversation. Yeah, and I think it's good to be self-reflective and uh, Mel Kidder, the coordinator of the residency, kind of has a, a section on this and curriculum where, like, how do we take you guys from being entry-level clinicians to specialists in orthopedics? And the, uh, a lot of talk is about being self-reflective, metacognition, all of that stuff. And Paul Tadak, again, um, really exemplifies this to me where usually after each patient, he'll mm -hmm. self-reflect about what went well, what went bad, and how he can improve. And he does that for all cases and uh, the good and, and the bad interactions. And I think that's what makes him such a good um, clinician. And I think one, one lesson for your, uh, for your listeners, if you're kind of having a feeling after a patient interaction, like, huh, that was kind of odd, or, oh, that went all right. Chances are that's what the patient's feeling as well <laughs> like uh, how how you're feeling it's probably um uh their uh their feeling as well hmm. i i like that a lot and i love that we're name dropping all over the place too this is fun i hope they actually listen to this <laughs> like wait i didn't say that <laughs> for the number of times their names dropped Right, exactly. I, we, you just want to go back and forth. You name something that somebody says at Ohio State, I'll name something and we'll go back and I forth. Know. This hour. It's our own pond. Talk, talk, to me, talk to me more about that transition from teaching either undergrad or PT students to actually teaching quote unquote peers in the PT world, teaching the residents and teaching your fellows. Well, and for, for me, it started with teaching residents, fellows, and colleagues. And in my mind, that's easier because everyone has a base knowledge, um, and especially for the clinical cases, because we all became physical therapists to help patients. And for mm -hmm. and a lot of us have that interest in clinical reasoning and, and improving treatment strategies, things like that. It's a challenge. And as you probably found out, teaching the PT students through the residency, your residency training. And then I've had experience teaching undergrads and each time I go back a level, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's a new challenge. Uh, I presented some undergraduate students recently as a guest lecturer and I could totally tell the students in the back row, like not paying attention or anything. And in my head, I'm like, man, how, like it's so obvious as the presenter that they're not engaged and i think right. when you're when you're a student you think the professor doesn't know <laughs> and it's so easy to tell when you're the one teaching um 
but I, I've noticed differences in communication strategies between those different levels. I've noticed uh, that when you're thinking about the, where they are in learning, it's totally different. Whereas like, if you're thinking about Bloom's taxonomy of learning, obviously your residents, fellows and, and colleagues are higher, they're more like the application phase or just critical thinking phase. We would like to think. Where, yeah, we like to think, whereas uh, the PT students and definitely the undergrad students are way uh, further down on, on, on that learning level. So you have to change your, your teaching strategies to meet that. It's a challenge. Yeah, it's, it's when, I, when I was teaching the, the PT students in our first years, it's like, take a step back. Like you want to go into all the fun stuff of the gray areas of PT, but they're at that point where they can't. It might sound bad to say, but they can't handle the gray areas of PT right now. You need to make it black and white and then be able to grow on top of that. So I, I do yeah. see I do see that as as a major challenge from doing that and then going back even further to the undergrad. I, I could see how that's even a greater of a challenge. But it's interesting to say that you think it's easier to teach the residents, fellows, and colleagues, because I'm going to say it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. I personally, at least right now, where I'm at, think it's harder. How I find it, let's let's just say I, I find it harder to bring that extra value. Like I feel like people know, people know what I'm going to be, be talking about. Like I said, like like you said, I mean they they understand this. They are, they're higher on that Bloom's taxonomy level, right? Like how do I bring that extra benefit? And I'm, I'm, I'm a little, not, I'm not worried. I'm just trying to put a lot of thought and a lot of brain power into how can I lead? And this is specific for me, but the, the manual therapy labs that I'm going to be leading for our residents coming up, I'm like, how can I make that the best experience for them? What would you say to that? Yeah, that's a, uh... I see your point, and I think everyone has such diverging interests, and like we all have overlap of interests, and I think we all speak the same language essentially. Mm -hmm. But you you can't know it all, and you can't you can't do a deep dive into all different facets of PT. So that's where working at a place like OC Sports Med, we have so many residencies and fellowships with specialties. I mean, the upper extremity fellowship, the um, sports residency, geriatric residency, neuro residency, therapy fellowship. Residency. Yeah, and, and no one has time to do a deep dive into each one of these topics. So I think you have a lot to offer where you're the one who has this interest Mm -hmm. who is doing all the prep work and, and you'll be surprised that again it, to me it comes down to the basics where it'll be easy to teach the residents these manual techniques because a lot of them may may not have that skill set and uh they might go too fast with their setup they might not be deliberate with their setup they uh, uh might have improper hand placement they might not know how to apply it to a specific patient i mean there's mm -hmm. so many things uh, to think about. I, I think when it comes to teaching the residents, the challenge you're going to have is that you're closer in age to them mm -hmm. and that each resident has a different personality type and you're not teaching on this big class scale, but 
You might have the resident who has confidence issues. You might have the overconfident resident. Mm -hmm. You might have all these personalities. And how do you how do you mentor each one of those? Because you have a unique opportunity where not only will you demonstrate these techniques, teach them, but then you can mentor them specifically too. So how do you adapt your style to help right. each one of those individuals? It's a, it's a really good point. And I'm, I'm going to keep going on this game that we're playing. And I'm going to name drop uh, my clinic or my past clinic manager, Mitch Salisbury. And me and Mitch had a very cool conversation basically about, about that in general of you're not blanketing one, one frame of reference, right? Especially when you're, you're going on to these higher level learners. It's like people are going to expect or need different things out of the, the lecture. So being able to tailor and target those different needs and at least being aware of them at first is something that I'm going to really have to work on. And I think, I think this would be, would be cool for us to talk about as, as we go through and I'll give you some updates on, on my progress or my lack of. <laughs> yeah. And that's the whole uh, learning experience from teaching. Right. right. Um, so so we're, we're, we're talking, we're talking about the nitty gritty stuff. Let's zoom out. Let's blast off into space. Look at it from the five or 50,000 foot view. What's the future of postdoc look like? What's the future of post postdoc PT look like? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, if Neither I, am I. I mean, I see, um, looking at my old program or the program I graduated from Duke, I, I see that they're pivoting a little bit and, and giving students more specialized experiences early on. Mm -hmm. um, I see the, I see the debt that students are taking on being a big issue that APTA is trying to tackle. And I kind of wonder if, if maybe that can be solved some way with postdoc education if there's some hybrid like apprenticeship model or some um, or do we go to the medical model where you know most programs have those that last year of clinical education could that be some kind of stipend position um, right. I don't know there's a I, I don't think uh, I feel like we're, we're not sure where things will go um, I think it depends on the institution. There's so many different models of residency and fellowships out there. So it's tough to tough for there to be just one model. So maybe there's a few different models going right. forward. Well, that's but, why I'm trying to have different people on, right? Is to, to see and to have different experiences from different residencies and even different same resident, same residency institution, but different subspecialty, right? And and seeing the differences. And I like I'm seeing like a lot of differences from the content and the way things are pieced out, but you know what I'm not seeing a difference on. And if you guys follow some of these episodes, it's, it's the things that residents either focus on or that they have problems with or that they have to work through. And it's, it's really interesting to, to see the stark differences on like, we do this, this, and this, and you do this, this, and this but we all feel almost the same way. Like there's that little bit of 
confidence issue going in. And I think that's normal for any new grad PT out there having some of that confidence issues. But then it's like, you're a type A person, you were, you were probably a bigger fish in a smaller pond. Now you're in a, a bigger pond and you're thinking everybody else is doing so much better than I am. And that's most likely not the case. You just have to talk to people and figure out those conversations. But those are just like some of the, like the little like dichotomies that you're saying, like some of them are really different, but at the same time, we're feeling the same things. I find that so interesting to think. I would have never thought that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do, do me a favor. Cause you just, you talked about what the, uh, the apprentice model versus the medical model. Can you explain to, to me and the listeners what that is? Yeah. And you know what? I'm not entirely sure even what I mean. I'm just spitballing, <laughs> but, uh, I lo- what, no, what does I, it look like in your mind? No, I can see, um, yeah, I think I'd favor something like a medical model where maybe we have like a selection day, kind of like uh, mm-hmm. uh, medical doctors do after they uh, complete uh, complete their MD programs. I think that'd be kind of a neat way to do it. And because um, right now with residencies and fellowships, you have some issues with uh, different program start times, different um, application deadlines, things like that. It'd be nice. If everyone interviewed around and everyone put their tops, you know, their top programs, the programs rated you, and then you had a match day, that'd be kind of neat. Uh, Yeah, it'd be a big deal. So, I mean, I kind of like that model, but I guess um, some kind of apprenticeship model. I wonder if that, if all, I mean, all PT programs are a little different, but if the last year of schooling is more you being on clinical rotations with some support from your PT program. Mm -hmm. If somehow or some clinical uh, sites can offer that student kind of a stipend or some kind of, or almost like they're an employee of that institution already. Um, There's some places like the VA that sometimes offers students stipends, things like that. So I kind of wonder, could that be an option? It's interesting that, that you're separating these two. In my mind, I almost put them together. They totally could be together. You're right. Yeah. In, in my mind, and obviously it's pretty small and feeble from the side of I'm a new grad. I just went through all this myself. I don't have the big picture knowledge. But looking at it, it's, it looks like could we do all of our education in two years? and then make that third year a residency year and and do that selection day and do that match day and because you're in your residency year you make some money you you put off some of that debt um i do think it's important to have clinical experiences and put in some ices or like integrate some of that stuff into the two years but maybe it's not as important if you're going to go the ortho route to be in that inpatient neuro setting. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it'd be interesting to sit in on the people, uh, on the meetings that, of, of people who are actually having these discussions and can actually weigh, weigh in on the topic. But uh, I, I mean, I knew I went to PT school wanting to be an outpatient ortho sports clinician. 
Um, but I do know some people who didn't know right away and kind of went, wanted to go the sports route that ended up going with neuro. That's I the mean, hard part. Yeah. So do you build that time in maybe, or, you know, maybe with, I mean, do you build that time in early on for the student to kind of decide? I think you and, do. I think you build it in with the classes that you offer. Right. And obviously the logistics aside, it seems like an easy thing to do in a perfect world, but you get your, your geriatric population, you get your, your neuro population, you, you get your ortho and sport population, you get pediatric population. Like you, you see a little bit, right. But I don't, it's maybe it's just my, my background and my upbringing. But I'm like, choose where you want to be. You, you can't be a generalist and good at everything. Mm-hmm. Like I have no business being in a neuro clinic right now zero business. It would, would not be beneficial to the patient. I could do it after a little bit of training and everything, but I don't know. I feel like being a generalist is, and this is going to be a little bit of controversy, but it's a cop-out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I could see the argument going multiple ways because you have some people who are uber specialists who only specialize in post-ops of one surgery. Um, and then you have maybe like a general, or I guess I see what you're saying. Like, I guess you wouldn't say someone's a generalist if they, they're in orthopedics, but treat multiple things. Is that right? Correct. Like I'm talking about the, the overarching categories or the buckets mm-hmm. of ortho, neuro, peds, what have you. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to like spit on people who are generalists right now. That's like not yeah. what I'm trying to do at all. Like I, I see myself as a generalist in the ortho realm for sure. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm just thinking about like, where do we push the cancer? Yeah. And I mean, I feel like you have big hospital systems that are kind of, kind of taking over, so to speak of all areas, but then you probably do have places where it's a small, small town, small hospital system. And, and maybe the PTs there do have to be those generalists. I don't know. Um, And that makes you think too about, I mean, going back to medicine, I mean, you have primary care physicians. I mean, do we have like a primary care PT type model, you know, where, where maybe they don't know all the specialties, but they know that you need a neuro PT or they can get you started or, I don't know, that's something to think about. I want to be your dentist. Yeah. Where, <laughs> what do you what do you think I mean by that? Um, you want to be. Uh, want to make sure your teeth are straight and nice and clean, right? Yeah, but even dentistry, right, has their specialties as well. Right. Uh, I I've heard an interesting take on this, and where where has the dentistry profession been fifty years ago? Like, where were they at? I don't know. So. Maybe I'm getting my time frames wrong, but like 50 years ago ish, you probably wouldn't go to the dentist every six months for a cleaning and a checkup for preventative care, right? You go. Supposed to do that? <laughs> 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 our insurance at least covers it. So just an FYI for you, Dr. Mansfield. <laughs> Your teeth look pretty good right now. You're good. Yeah, but, last year. So there you go. See COVID excuse, right? <laughs> but but in 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 all reality, I mean, back in the day, you'd probably only go to the dentist if you had a problem, right? 
oh, my tooth hurts. I'm going to go to my dentist to get it pulled or to do whatever needs to be done. And then we'll live our life and then we'll go back there. And I don't know. I feel like we're, are we, are we right? Are we there? Are we dentists 50 years ago, quote unquote, where people only come to see us when? Right. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I know, I think if we can keep kicking the ball forward, you know, like inch by inch, I don't think things are going to happen really fast, so to speak. But I think you look at the PT profession, I mean, you, you do the same thing. Think of a, think of us 50 years ago. I mean, I'm sure our practice looks pretty, should look fairly different. Um, I would think starkly different. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's some similarities, but yeah, I mean, that's where it's good to talk to, talk to our colleagues with 10 plus years of experience over us who've seen the, um, who have seen the PT profession change over those years. Um, it's interesting talking to Paul about PT, like from the nineties and, and that, and previously, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think, uh, I think there's definitely a boom in evidence-based practice and, and that's definitely helped physical therapy practice for sure. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how things move forward and how and you probably realize this within with being a part of OSU, I think we're seeing more uh, of our PT colleagues take leadership roles within our own department and, and then some higher up in the medical center. I think that's a good thing because now we're getting, um, we're getting more representation at those bigger tables. Advocacy. Mm-hmm. What do you think we're too evidence-based right now? Do you think maybe, maybe some people can... Not that evidence space is a bad thing, but do you think some people can maybe just shoo away the old style practice or things that have worked in the past? That, that's a good question. I think about, and I guess I'll answer that with talking about residencies and fellowships specifically, because I feel like some residents, when they come to our clinic, they have these preconceived notions or philosophies, um, either about implementing the latest research article or, or it could be valued, valued care value, you know, you know, less visits and higher outcomes kind of, kind of approach to, and I think. Are you gets, talking about me? Sometimes. <laughs> no, and I think, I think it's good. I think it becomes a challenge when you, it becomes a challenge to apply a philosophy or apply that new research article to the patient in front of you who has all these values and, and honestly, it's like whenever a patient asks me to do ultrasound, I'm embarrassed to do it. And I usually go into a back room to do it <laughs> so my colleagues don't see me, uh, but, but I still do it. And I think, um, and I think there's a, where am I going with that? I think um, it's tough where you're trying to, it's a balance, balancing act for a right. treating physical therapist where you're trying to give what you think is the best evidence for this patient right now and you know what if that patient wants ultrasound and i don't want to do it but i know they want it and that they're going to come back to see me a few more times to get that evidence-based treatment i will do it and um and that's why i think 
AOMP is really good because they talk about kind of three pillars of clinical care. Um, I'm forgetting one of the pillars, but one oh, is, nice. uh, no, no, actually, here are the three pillars, uh, evidence-based practice, uh, clinical expertise, and then essentially the, the patient expectations and patient expertise as, as well. Sure. So if you, if you imagine the, those three pillars or let's say three, um, three legs of a stool, mm -hmm. if one's shortened or one's out of balance, What's you're probably happen? not gonna, yeah. You're probably not gonna have the best clinical outcome. So or fall over. I think that's yeah. And so, but to uh, to a clinician's point though, if you do have some philosophy, uh, you know, overall, I think if you're staying within the evidence, it's going to be good. But you have to make sure you're balancing all these other components. Thank you for saying that. I think it's it's very important not only for me to hear, but I think it's important for everybody here and to realize. You, you've been through the ringer from the evidence side of things. You've been through a residency. You've been through a fellowship. You're a PhD student now, and you still do ultrasound. I still do ultrasound right. too. And I like, let that sink in for a second. Like we're complex creatures, right? You're not just treating the shoulder. You're treating the shoulder that's connected through a nervous system to a brain. And that brain has preconceived notions and thoughts about the medical model and thoughts about what should physical therapists be doing for me. Now, maybe our brains have different thoughts about that, right? But you got to meet some person, somebody in the middle. Maybe you do that ultrasound to get your buy-in or to, to, to make your person feel comfortable and confident, and then you can do your evidence-based interactions or mm -hmm. maybe that ultrasound is going to allow them and going to put them in the right mindset that that will come back for those next five or six visits as opposed to you jamming in all of this awesome intervention exercise they're too tired they don't like it they don't understand where ex how exercise is going to help them they don't come back yeah and uh, i think it goes for all, all aspects of patient care um Paul, uh, Paul Mitkin, uh, out of Colorado. I listened to, whoa, whoa, him, whoa, uh, whoa, whoa. You can't name drop somebody from outside of Ohio state. I, I can. Well, I don't know him personally, <laughs> but I heard, um, but, just but I like Go on. Does. uh, but yeah, he was a keynote speaker, uh, at one of the AON's conferences and he was talking about how he did the most thorough exam on a patient one time. And, uh, and it was a great exam. Like if you were to be, if you were to be tested on it, let's say as a resident or fellow, you would have aced it. Yeah. But, but the patient was so offended and so, uh, <laughs> so upset by it that she went to a, a different provider, a different therapist. Um, and and that, that was for a different reason, but it's a good lesson that you, and back to John, you, I mean, you're training the person in front of you and you got to, and it's a balance act between what they, what their previous experiences are, what the evidence says and kind of a marriage of those things. So it's, right. um, let's not forget that. Yeah. All right. Um, well, Hey, let's pivot a little bit. Uh, I, I have a question for you. I'll take over the host role for, yes. for a second. I love that. <laughs> so I, I've had the unique experience of mentoring you when you first started at our clinic as a resident. And now I'm going to have the opportunity to mentor you again in January when you start our 
orthopedic manual physical therapy fellowship. And I guess I wonder uh, how things have changed for you in regards to mentorship. Do you, do you like to receive feedback the same way you did as a resident early on or have things changed? Do you, did, did you like me as a mentor early on, but now do you think Terrible. that same kind of mentorship, <laughs> do you think that same kind of mentorship style would be good for you moving forward? Or granted, every mentor has a difference, but I'm kind of curious for my own uh, uh, personal mentorship style as we move forward in January. I love it. Great question. Um, when, when I think about it, I'm, I'm hesitant to say that my, my mentoring style or the way I like to receive feedback has changed. But what I'm going to say is, as, as I reflect over my year and a half of residency, I don't think I was pushed enough from, from the standpoint of, I think I've, I've been able to give a good answer all the time. And you've heard me say this before. And I feel like we, we, I've definitely grown and I would not give my residency experience up for anything in the world, especially our, our mentoring together. I thought our mentoring together was awesome. I always walked away with something. So I would say, let's continue the style of mentoring from the sense of, I like that you most of the time step back and just observe and watch me do my thing. And then we have some conversation afterwards. I think that conversation afterwards, at least for me, is when the real mentorship takes place is when things really sink in. And I don't, I would, I want to challenge you to challenge me more. Um, I know it's not going to be personal. We're, we're friends. So from, from that like standpoint, like it, it's not a jab at who I am as a person, but I want to grow more so within this fellowship. And I see, I see the opportunity to do so. But with that, I guess my specific learning style from, I don't know, this is probably more from sports and I think you can relate to it from, from your soccer side of things, but I'm, I'm hard headed. I'm, I'm thick headed with some things. So like push me. I, like sometimes I need a little bit of a push. So that's, that's what I'm going to say the change could be. And I'm, I'm so happy to hear you say that because as residents develop each year, so, so do mentors. And I feel like each resident and fellow I've mentored, I've learned something new to, to be a better mentor. And um, I, I'll give you a little preview of our first um I guess orientation for the fellowship that I was going to have, but awesome. listen up guys, listen up, listen up. But yeah, I, well, I wanted to tell you a change in my mentorship style and you and me get along really well. And I think we have the same viewpoints where as a resident, that's kind of the feedback or the, the way I like things too, is where we debrief afterwards and almost like the patient doesn't even know you're there, you know? Right. Um, however, yeah, I want to, I want you to feel like I'm a resource of honesty where you can get a real opinion. And sometimes that means, you know, being honest is tough on both ends and being and giving that crucial feedback can be tough. And I guess I want to tell you that 
I'm glad to hear you say you want to be challenged in that. And I'm glad that I'm a mentor that can do that now because I feel like I've improved where I don't want to say no more Mr. Nice Guy, but I want to be able to tell you at the end of the week, like, hey, training this week, you know, it was just okay. You know, I, I thought right. you were you were late to this meeting or, hey, this one patient experience I didn't think went well. I want to be able to tell you that and not be walking on eggshells. And I think right. in the past, I've been a nice, too nice of a guy. <laughs> and this isn't speaking towards you, but I think, I think I've avoided confrontation at times where it's so hard to do that it's so hard to know yeah, right right and that's uh and i've gotten better about it um the, i'll tell you the story about that in a sec but but here's my if you were to talk about my mentorship style for 2021 Uh-oh. and i know you don't follow soccer but or maybe you maybe a you follow bit. the maybe you follow the great british baking show potentially no you know i don't my aunt and uncle love it though shout out uncle okay. tom and Aunt Kathy, but you, you have to watch an episode. So my uh, my mentorship style for 2021 is going to be <laughs> uh, like the coach Jose Mourinho from from Tottenham. Okay. And uh, I am and a Hotspur fan, so I know he's pretty tough. Yeah, yeah, and Paul Hollywood, uh, one of the judges in the Great British Baking Show. <laughs> <That's his> name? <laughs> yeah, Paul Hollywood. That's his real name. Uh, but anyways, I, I want you to think. I want you to feel like to do something with a patient or to give a presentation. Mm-hmm. And then I want you to be able to come to me and know that you're getting honest feedback of how it went. And then, that. and then, yeah, I want to feel like, I, 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 I want you to know that I'm going to hold you accountable and that I'm going to call it how I see it. And that's something I've avoided beforehand. And that's something I've developed as a person and as, a PT and a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul Paul Tadak has probably been my biggest mentor and big, biggest influencer. And I remember um, there was some communication between me and a physician that I thought could have been better. And uh, and I was a little bit upset about it because the physician told the patient one thing and I, I wasn't happy about it. And so I went to um, I went to Paul's event about it and just to um, yeah, just to vent, you know, like how upset I was. And he's like, well, what are you going to do about it? Why don't you, why don't you talk to this physician? Why don't you email him? I'm like, right. no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and, uh, and, it, and he's like, actually, this is a crucial conversation moment for you to have. And had Paul not pushed me to do it, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have. But anyways, I did. I reached out to the physician, told him uh, how I felt, told him the situation. And it was a great experience. The physician messaged me back and it was a great talk and we moved forward and it was awesome. Um, but had, had Paul not for, essentially forced me to do it, <laughs> uh, uh, he proofread the email and everything and said it to be sent out by the end of the day. But um, yeah, it, that, that was a real good moment for me. But anyways, that's a sidetrack. Um, I think there's two things in that story though. You, you talk about being more real. And that was some of my feedback to, to some of my mentors in the past. And not only, not only in residency, but maybe more in uh, um, PT school as well. And it's often the moment, like you said, like it's hard for me to hear it as the mentee and I don't want to, don't want to push it away, but it's tough for you as the mentor to give it. 
it's mm-hmm. it's not an easy thing to do on both sides of the street but if you like you get over it you know like what whatever like who cares like get over it and push through where you end up is in a much better place than when you started and that's the most important thing like that's why i'm doing this fellowship i'm giving up some money i'm giving up some salary so i can be better than i am right now and it's and i have to look myself in the mirror sometimes and like you have to push yourself or you have to be okay with suffering a little bit or you have to be okay with some criticism and yeah it's not easy to do but who cares get over it mm-hmm. but the, the other thing that i want to point out from that is that Paul not only gave you that feedback, he followed through with it from the sense of, you said it, he proofread your email. He not only said, do this, but I will help you do this. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think that's not something that's easy to do. It doesn't sound like it's like, like, yeah, you, you can, you can say, I'll be tough on me or like do this or do that. It's like following through with, with helping that growth is something that would be pretty difficult, but I think it's pretty necessary too, because it probably gave you a little bit more confidence in the end at the end of the day. And it probably helped that experience go a little bit better. Right. And had I not had this positive follow through and positive uh, dialogue with the physician, but back in my mind, I would have been like, not liking that physician, but because we, because I had this conversation, it went really well. Right. Or you wouldn't have, as bad as this would sound, like you wouldn't have trusted Paul as much. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't have, like somebody who just pushes you out into the fire and says, hop over the fence, go, go into the, go into the center between the trenches. Like, but they don't go with you. I mean, it's just, it, you lose some respect for that. And, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen. So I think it's, it's something cool to really think about and to, to unbox yes pushing somebody but pushing somebody with a helping hand maybe it's mm-hmm. kind of sounds counterintuitive but right now this might be literally the same question but i'm, I'm curious if we answer it the same and you could just say yes and we can move on okay but uh uh when i was a resident um one of my favorite mentors not only gave me good constructive feedback, but I also left the session with more confidence and feeling good. And and the mentor had more of a laid, laid back approach and more, um, I, I guess, more like we were working on the problem together. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, did have you had in residency, in residency a, an experience of mentorship where you felt the same way or or your optimal mentorship experience, what was that for you? I think that's the optimal mentor experience. I think mixing the two together and having the soft skills and realizing where the person's at and meeting them there, right? So like our example before of teaching the, the, the new residents about manual skills from a manual lab like everybody's going to come at it from a different way like you're going to want me to do x y and z 
right? But maybe I'm not ready to do Z yet. I can do X and Y, but maybe I'm not ready to do Z yet. And if you push Z, maybe that, that strains the relationship or, or does something from that manner. So I think it, it sounds like your experience is just that. Somebody that's able to read the situation, push when pushing is acceptable and needed, but not push over the line. Or not to get, not give somebody that they're something that they're not ready to hear. Like sometimes I don't know. Like you need prep for something, or you need to think about it on your own. And I don't think it's a bad thing to leave a mentoring session with a question, not just like do this, this, and this. Or if you would have done this, this, and this, we would have been good. Got it? Good. I think maybe more of, and this would probably be the most optimal. And I'm probably going around in circles. That's <laughs> no, all right. Having, having that little bit of a, a question at the end and how could I have done this better? Like, what would have that really looked like? Because mm -hmm. how do you get the answers and how do you retain most of the answers? I mean, at least for me, it's when I take personal inventory and when I make myself responsible for something, not just telling me something. Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, when you, when you take ownership of the, the learning and the solution. Right. And, and sometimes it's needed to, to give the solution. Like if it's like a, if it's like a factual thing or if it's something that needs to be handled directly, being direct about it. But if it's something that's a little bit more metacognition or something that needs a little bit more thought process behind, maybe it's not the best thing to do to just shove it down somebody's throat. Like I used to do with education patient wise. <laughs> No, you're a good man. <laughs> what, now I'm going to pose this question back to you because it's hard to be the hard ass, right? Do you think it would be like better or could somebody or could we work on it as, as a uh, residency institution to preface everything with, hey, I'm going to be harder on you. I'm going to let you know it's real, just like you said. But at the same time, I'm going to be the person that's always in your corner. I'm going to be on your side. This is never going to be something that is meant to strike you down as a person. I'm always here for you if you really need to talk. Hmm. But I'm going to push you. In my mind, that's the best way of I have my mentee in front of me. I'm going to say that I'm pushing you, but I'm also going to say I'm here. And this is a relationship and we're going to build this relationship and I'm going to give you those soft skills when it's needed still. I think that's the best balance. I, I agree. And it's why as someone who's developing the curriculum for the fellowship with Jake, why our first session is an orientation two hour session for each of us to talk about your expectations, my, our, our expectations mm -hmm. and basically have that, solidified and and for me to tell you that if I do give you critical feedback here's why uh, I, I think it's important for each mentor and mentee to develop that relationship and probably I imagine our mentorship and benefit is just going to grow because we've already uh, had an experience as a mentor mentee team yeah. uh, early in your residency so I I think we're in for a lot of fun for next year as far as like seeing where to go next, you know? I'm excited. Um, 
Yeah. And you know what, when I was a resident at, at OSU, and I, I'm sure a lot of people listening or OSU people know that it's 16 months. And as of right now, you guys switch halfway through. Mm-hmm. Back, back in my day, when I was a resident. We didn't do that. Back in <laughs> we, my we, day, we, we walked we, uphill we, both ways in the snow. <laughs> exactly. Um, we worked till 7 p.m. on Friday, unlike you guys. <laughs> um, 6 p.m. only. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yet the, and I was, I was a resident who provided feedback to the program that I thought a in clinics would be a good thing. And, and Mel Kidder took that feedback and we, and we've done it. And I never thought to, to think about the drawbacks from that. Right. And, and now being in this position, still part of OSU and, and watching the changes happen. It, it's interesting because when you switch clinics halfway through, you're starting up a new relationship with new mentors. And it takes time for your men- mentors and mentees to kind of go through a storming phase and figuring each mm-hmm. other out and then moving forward. And you're essentially starting the orientation process all over again. Whereas had you stayed at your other clinic and have developed that mentorship time with, with your mentor, the mentorship style changes over time as you change your style. And it's, I don't know, it just made, made me think about the drawbacks of some of the feedback me and my co-residents gave. Right. And overall, I think it's a good thing because I think we want the residents to be uncomfortable, change clinics, get to see new things, different populations. But it, it is interesting you say that. Um, and so I try now with residents that come in to, when, when we change halfway through to have that quick orientation, even though it's not like programmed in, but it's tough. We, you know, people don't always have block time to do that. And so it's really up to the mentor and mentee to find that time to do that outside of work. Right. Right. I mean, what, what you're saying is things don't happen in a vacuum. You make one change in one direction, something else is going to be effective either positively or negatively. And that's, you can think about that in patient care. You can think about that in politics. You can think about that in mentoring. You can think about that in everything. Just because you have a good idea doesn't mean it's not going to take away from something else. So I think that's really, that's, that's a really cool thing to hear you reflect on and saying like, I, I, I would have never thought that switching clinics was a, a negative, but I, yeah. I see your point. And I think the positives outweigh the negatives, <laughs> but for sure, um, cost-benefit analysis right there. But I never thought about the drawbacks from it because um, it does take a while for to rev up a a resident at a new clinic each time you change. Right, but I think you're mitigating those drawbacks. I think when you take that time to orient, you're pushing that storming phase and you're shortening it. That's what, that's what it feel. That's what it feels like, and I think that needs to be an important part, and maybe more of an emphasis across the board, not just in our like people who who feel like it's important to do so, but I think it's just might be just like a, a normal thing where you, you might need to just sit down with your mentor for forty five minutes, and you know what? If you, if you lose three or four units of productivity from that, I think it's probably more worth it than anything else. Or yeah, or be creative where you're talking over lunch or um, exactly. a normal 
in normal times grab a coffee or or meet outside of work to kind of talk through that stuff. Right. Awesome. I think that's a really, really cool thing. Now, I don't want to, to miss out on plugging your new article. Tell us about it. Yeah, so I have probably been trying since I was a, an orthopedic resident at OSU to publish a MSK imaging article in JOSPT. And I've tried un- unsuccessfully for six years and finally got one in. And, uh, and I'm really excited too, because it, it's published in the flagship journal and uh, all imaging cases moving forward uh, are going to be published in their new journal called JOSPT cases, which I think is going to be really cool. Um, you snuck it in. But it was kind of nice to get in the flagship journal because it was, it was a goal of mine. Um, but yeah, it, it's in the December issue of JOSPT. And um, it was just a wild case that happened uh, last year around this time. Uh, I, was, I took on a 30-minute evaluation with, um, as a favor, which was kind of uh, unique for our department where we typically see evaluations for 45 to 60 minutes. In my head, I was thinking, oh, this is going to be an easy uh, total knee orthoplasty evaluation. The no-brainer, of course, I can do that in 30 minutes. Going to be able to fly through. <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, 30 minutes turned into uh, 30 minutes turned into a, a like 90-minute session, <laughs> and uh, and essentially, uh, essentially the. I was suspicious that the patient had some kind of spine issue going on because he was having some neuro signs in his leg. And one one of the biggest factors, which I thought was interesting, was kind of the lack of sensation, lack of proprioception of the leg. When I tried to do a shorter quad with the patient, Mm -hmm. he couldn't perceive that his leg was drifting off of the bolster and hitting the wall. And so the the Whoa. pattern was just like all wrong. Something was fishy. And ultimately it was sh- shared decision-making between the patient and myself to, um, to basically facilitate a, a referral to the emergency department, contact the surgeon and uh, go from there. It was a, a severe thoracic spine cord compression, right? Right. It sounds like you went through your eval as you normally would with a TKA. You, you educated the patient on what you needed to do. You got to the point of teaching intervention. And from that point, you were like, things aren't really adding up. Let's dive into this deeper. Is that, is that what it was? Yeah, it was kind of like an evaluation and treatment session all in one where, again, I only had half hour. Right. And then I, I decided to stay after my end time in clinic because like things weren't fitting together like they should. <clears throat> and um, and ultimately when I tried the short arc quad is like, well, all right, let's just see, maybe this person's quad is a super weak, et cetera. But ultimately when I tried the short arc quad and he couldn't perceive where his leg was in space, I was like, all right, that was the last straw for me. <laughs> and um, it was interesting the the, the patient himself, I mean, it, it all added together for being very suspicious where he was doing well. He was walking with a cane. All of a sudden, he started to regress and mm-hmm. was walking with a walker. Um, he had these neuro signs and then couldn't perceive where his leg was in space. Uh, 
and it just all added together where essentially that was the stopping point. It's like, all right, let's talk. Let's, let's have this talk of what to do next. It's pretty cool. It's, yeah. it's not every day that you, you see a, a total knee that transpires into something like that. So I think that just is a yeah. lesson for all of us to, to keep our eyes and ears open. And if it's, even if it's a, a horse and it sounds like a horse, it might be a zebra sometimes. So. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a quick read, probably one of the most scrutinized 300 words I've ever written. Um, took about a year to a year of working oh, with JLS PT to get it out there. And anyways, excited it's uh, out. And I think, uh, yeah, it's kind of a cool case. To, I think that's a cool side note from. to talk about too, is how much work and time goes into those JS, JOSPT articles. Like you, you submit it, right. And I don't know, like from what I thought in PT school, at least like, yeah, you, you submit the article if they like it. Yeah. You're in, they, they'll change the format for you a little bit and boom. It's not like that, is it? No, it's, it's incredibly challenging. And um, it's several revisions. It's, uh, you know, this was just for 300 words with um, with uh, my other publication, JOSPT. Several different editors looked at it, several different reviewers. I mean, it it's just a, it's a process. And um, ultimately, I, I think JOSPT does a great job where I think the peer review process only enhance the work I've submitted to them right. um, but yeah it's uh it, it takes a lot it's a lot of work that people don't see awesome that's a labor of love so a, a hearty congratulations is definitely in order yeah. for for you and your other two authors that's awesome yeah thanks buddy. you want to do you want to shout out your other two authors on that yeah um Dr. Ryan Harrison who um is an orthopedic surgeon now working at Indiana University I believe and then uh, one of my PhD mentors, uh, Dr. Matt Briggs, who um, I believe he was actually the first sports resident at OSU and wow. uh, is now in charge of research for our sports med department, essentially. Yep. You, guys, you guys do a lot of, a lot of cool work. I'm, I'm excited to work with you guys even more on the research side of things, too. Yeah, we'll have to brainstorm what your uh, fellowship project will be. Exactly. So let's wrap this up. We've, we've had a really good conversation. But is there anything? Is there anything you want to leave me with? Is there anything you want to leave our audience with as we go forward? Um, you know what? I I think uh, uh, just gratitude for you inviting me on on your pod. I think it's fun to see uh, your idea kind of starting the brainstorming phase and see you uh, see you at it now. And I definitely think you have a talent for it. And I, I think it's going to be fun to to see uh, the podcast kind of grow from here. And uh, yeah. yeah, I think. Uh, you're a major asset for OSU and just with how self-reflective you are. And um, yeah, I think uh, you really give back to the program. So it's nice to see uh, this kind of launch of the podcast. But, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I'm, I'm humbled to hear that. And I want to, number one, echo the thank you back to you. I appreciate you taking the time to come on, especially with your, your PhD studies. Like, geez, you're probably... <laughs> over the hill swamp with all of that stuff and then the research that you do and the faculty positions that you are supplying like that's awesome i really appreciate your time it's not over yeah no problem and then i also want to thank our listeners over the past week we've had a a probably i'd say 250 percent increase in downloads and, and listens so 
thank you guys from both the bottom of my and Matt's heart. We, uh, we really appreciate you, you following along with our journey. If there's anything that we can do to make this experience a little bit better for you guys, like, yes, we want to get something out of it. Number one, and not to sound selfish, but this isn't for you. This is for me. And I'm learning from guests like Cody and from guests that I've had in my past. And that's the main reason why I'm doing this. So I'm not going to sugarcoat things from the sense that I'm not going to change the way that I'm doing this, but I also want to make this a little bit more palatable sometimes for you. So I'm open to suggestions. Like I said, in the beginning, our email is posted wherever you find our podcasts. And I also want to push this out to, if you want to be a guest, I want to learn from you. I want to learn. It doesn't matter if you don't think that you're worth learning from. I don't think I'm worth learning from, but I want, I want to learn from you. Let the PT community learn from you. Let's get your story out. So send us an email. I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Okay. Much love guys. Thanks for listening. This has been the postdoc PT experience with our one and only Dr. Cody Mansfield. Bye everybody.